today I've been talking to SF Banks from You Can Have It All. Now, SF is a man full of energy and positivity, even though a traumatic event at the age of 16 could have really derailed him. He began to see his vocation working with teens and he feels that the pandemic has opened up opportunities for the future of our younger people. He sees it as a great time to become inspired. Hey, SF. Hey, what's going on, Marie? How are you? Really good. So nice to see you. Thanks so much for coming on my podcast. You're the first one of Series 3. Awesome. Yay. (laughs) All right. Great to be the first. Yeah, right. So tell me about, paint a picture about your world. What's going on for you now? Uh, Right now, I am really excited about our youth magazine, You Can Have It All. Uh, which is all about motivating kids to go after their dreams in spite of the circumstances uh, and just, you know, getting kids and youth inspired about the possibilities, especially with everything going on in the world, the changes, the challenges. Uh, I feel like right right now is a great time for youth to be inspired about what it is that they can do. Uh, And so doing that and, you know, just working with youth, getting ready for our youth camp that we do every summer and fingers crossed that that'll be able to happen uh, this year, in spite of all the COVID stuff, because it is a blast. We have a great time. Uh, I think I have more fun than the kids sometimes. And so that's really what we're working on, getting all that rolling. Uh, brilliant. And where are you? Where are you based? I am in Atlanta, Georgia, USA. Very good. Yeah. And and you just killed me by saying that, um, you know, your snow is an inch and the country stops. Well, same here. <laughs> same in the UK. We just really? have to have flakes of snow and everything stops here. Uh, I'm telling you, man, it, it's it's interesting. They will they'll shut the schools down. You know, no one will be on the roads and it's, you know, six inches of snow. And I lived as a kid you know, I lived in Seattle, uh, Seattle, Washington for a while. And then I also lived in Denver, Colorado, which gets a ton of snow. And so to live in Atlanta and it might just be a light dusting of snow, not enough to make a snowball and they will shut everything down (laughs) (laughs) so so listen um your story your story as a as a child tell tell us what happened and which set you on this path path to be working with young people which we're going to really explore in this podcast absolutely so i you know growing up we have a I, we had a really close knit family, just, you know, my, my grandmother, my grandfather, uh, my, my mom had five, excuse me, six sisters and three brothers. And so, you know, a very close knit family. Uh, so one of my aunts, well, actually my sister was getting married and one of my aunts was coming from Seattle, um, to Atlanta, uh, for my sister's wedding. And her husband was a pretty jealous guy. And he thought that she was going to leave him for another man. And she had told him that she wasn't going to leave, that she was, you know, coming to a wedding. Uh, You know, hey, we're coming to your niece's wedding. And, you know, why don't you come with us? Uh, He didn't want to do that. And he was just pretty upset. So she came to the wedding. The wedding was on a Saturday. She left uh, to go back to Seattle that Sunday. And um, that Sunday night, uh, he actually stabbed her to death and as well as my cousin, Uh, who was nine years old at the time. And it just really rocked our world because, again, our family's really close-knit. And we didn't find him for over a week. 
Uh, we didn't know where they were, what had happened. You know, normally she would call my mom or one of my other aunts and say, hey, I made it home. And she didn't do that. And um, one of my aunts actually went to her house to do a wellness check, you know, with the police and all that to make sure she was okay. And when they opened the door, the smell hit them at the door. And so mm-hmm. they knew uh, what had happened. And so what that did for me uh, is it, you know, lit a fire in my heart to say one day I would do something uh, in their honor, uh, you know, to be able to help women and children, you know, somehow not be in that kind of situation if they could prevent it. And so that's where everything got started from. So how old were you then? I was 16 when that happened. So I wasn't a little, little boy, uh, but I was young enough for it to, you know, be something that was pretty traumatic. Uh, We had had, you know, other domestic challenges in our family, right? Like all families do. There's some, you know, spouses fight or something like that, but nothing to this extent. And so Mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was a really uh, life altering thing for me. And and in that moment, you know, when you were 16, even though you knew that that you wanted to do something to honor your your family, those people who'd been murdered, how what was the initial reaction like? What happened to you in your world at 16? Did you find that you kind of went off the rails or did you find that you were, you know, did you have to seek therapy or what what happened for you? You know, uh I was well, the interesting thing really happened with that. So when we went to the funeral because uh, it was all my sister got married around. She got married around Thanksgiving. And so, you know, the funeral was around Christmas time. As a matter of fact, we, actual funeral was right, right around that time. And so that in itself was very difficult uh, for the family because, you know, holiday time is a big family time, especially in the U.S. And so, you know, to always kind of have that was something that was challenging as a kid. But we he murdered him and then, and then my uncle was on the run for a while. We, you know, they couldn't find him. The police couldn't find him. He was wanted. And we were actually in Seattle, the whole family for the funeral. And he called and he called my aunt, my aunt's uh, phone, uh, one of my mom's other sisters. And my sister answered the phone and he said who he was and she just couldn't talk to him. And so he, she gave me the phone and I said, Hey, you know, how's it going? We, we didn't want him to know. <laughs> what was going on because he was on the run. He said, Hey, well, what are you guys doing in Seattle? I said, Hey, we're here, you know, for, for Christmas. And, you know, we're trying to find my, my cousin and we can't find him. We're trying to, you know, get everybody over to celebrate. And he said, well, have you guys gone to the apartment? And we said, you know, no. He said, well, you guys should go on the, go to the apartment and check on him. And uh, I said, oh, okay. And uh, I said, well, what's going on? He said, man, I'm just really stressed out. I'm just really bummed out right now. Blah, 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 blah. And he said, well, where are you? And he was actually on the border between Washington State and Oregon, uh, and which is northwest, uh, you know, United States. And so we said, OK, and he got off the phone. I called the detective and said, hey, he's at this hospital at this place. And they actually went and picked him up. And that's how they got him. Wow. And yeah, that's how they got him and actually, you know, and they prosecuted him. And now he's doing life in prison. Uh, so the effects of that there was a, a sense of vindication for me because there was, okay, we're able to get him put in jail. Uh, so that helped. I didn't go to counseling. Um, you know, looking back at it, I'm sure it would have helped. It would have helped, especially with my sister. My sister uh, took it a lot harder than, than I did. I think um, just because she kind of felt it was her fault. 
right? Just if she wouldn't have come down, then maybe this wouldn't have happened and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but we didn't get counseling. And that's something that probably would have helped us uh, just kind of cope with it a lot better. Uh, but I think I got so angry that it happened that I used that anger to, you know, I think I just kind of bottled and compartmentalized it uh, for a long time. Like I talk about it more now and what happened more as an adult than I ever did uh, over the last, you know, 20 years of my life. I can imagine, yeah. yeah, because actually for a 16-year-old lad who's had this trauma to be on the phone to the guy and stay calm and, and get the information that's required to get that, you can't script it, SF. You cannot. <laughs> you cannot. And it was just, I, I remember not, I was just very calm and it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it was just like, okay, how do we get this guy? Right. Cause that was the thing. How do we, how do we get him? And then, you know, and everybody was kind of nervous because you didn't know where he was. So we didn't want him to come up to the house. Right. He had just, you know, murdered our family members and we didn't know where he was. And, you know, yeah, it, it wasn't scripted and it was just, I mean, it was really a, a great thing for our family and that, that we were able to get him behind bars. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, what a story. And then, so you said that that anger, did that anger, um, you know, how did you do through the rest of your schooling, you know, and then moving on? And I really want to go into, you know, the things that you've done to support mm-hmm. young people. But, you know, how how did you go from 16 to the end of your schooling? Um, for the rest of the time, I, I did well at school. Um, like I said, I think the thing that I did, looking back at it now, is we really compartmentalized it. Um, and and just kept, kept moving forward. Uh, and I don't know how I did that truthfully, because it wasn't something where I said, Hey, I'm going to forget about him and, and just, you know, put it to the side. I mean, it was really hard the first couple of years for our family, uh, just because everybody was hurt and, and, and angry. Um, I think I was fortunate not to get impacted directly as much as some of my other cousins uh, and maybe that was because I was the one on the phone that was able to help get him locked up that I felt, like I said, a sense of vindication that, you know, hey, you know, we did something, you know what I mean? OK, he's behind bars. He's never going to get out of jail, you know, and, and all this stuff. But it, it affected my my cousins and, and relatives really bad. I mean, I had cousins that pretty much like snapped, you know, just mentally um, and, you know, were, were they just had a lot of mental health issues after that um just uh, a lot of my aunts you know same thing dealt with a lot of mental health issues or, or some drug abuse after that um because it was just such a traumatic thing because we knew him as well right i mean mm-hmm. he'd been in the family our whole lives and he was you know like an uncle as well and, and it was such a surprise to everyone it was such a shock and so I think I was able to I was able to make it through it. And I was a little bit more fortunate to some of the other people in my family. Yeah. And, you know, I get a real sense of strength from you, you know, that that really seems to, to come across to me now that that through it all, you had a sense of uh, justice or right or just a strength of your own self. Right. Would that be fair. Right. Yeah. No, that that would that would definitely be fair. Uh, and then it, at school, I was very busy. So at that time I was in high school. And I was, you know, I was really busy, you know, with doing stuff because the thing was, okay, you got to get to college, 
And my mom didn't have the resources for me to go to college. So I knew I had to get a college scholarship. And so I was playing sports at that time. I was, you know, I was debating. I was in all these different activities. And I think that that's what really helped me uh, was that my mind had to be on all these other things because there was such a big thing. And I didn't want to have a failure. I really wanted to be able to do something in honor of my family uh, to make my family proud. And so I think that that's where the energy went. I was able to, to channel it, uh, to, to take it out on my work and, you know, sports and stuff. No, oh, brilliant. Well, yeah. <laughs> because it would have been, you know, the option to go the other way is, is, is also there, right? So, Absolutely. so good, good for you. Absolutely. So then, then you went on, um, with this desire to support young people and then you started to produce so much stuff. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to tell us how it started chronologically or how do you want to do it? Sure. The, well, the funny thing about it, Marie, is that I never wanted to work with kids. Uh, I couldn't stand kids. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't stand kids. The last thing I wanted to do was work with children. Uh, and uh, it ended up happening that way. Around 2008, there was a, a big recession here in the States. And it, I was in on the finance side of real estate, I would help people get finance for houses. And there was in 2000, about 2007 is when it really started. You couldn't get people finance for homes at all. Us too. And yeah, it was just, you know, what in the world is going on? And, and, um, you know, and so I had to figure out how to make money for myself. Growing up, I had been in martial arts. My mom had had me in Taekwondo and karate and I did Kung Fu. And I was just in love with martial arts as a kid and always kind of stayed that way. And so about that time, a buddy of mine said, hey, look, you know, maybe we should start teaching martial arts classes at these schools around the around the neighborhood. And I said, all right, cool, let's do it. Be a great idea, you know, and maybe we can make some extra money because I'm not making any money over here selling these (laughs) houses anymore. And so what happened is that uh, that business, you know, kind of took off and we started teaching at schools all over the city. And the it was at that time that things kind of that seed in my heart to want to do something for my aunt and my cousin, their honor kind of came out because I had buried it real deep. You know, it's like, Mm. you almost forget about it. And Mm. it was like, Oh man, this is what I can do. Right. I can do this to be able to do this in their honor. And and that's where it started. And so I am defense is the first thing that came out. Uh, It was a self-defense program to teach women and children how to defend themselves against aggressive attackers. And that was something I was very passionate about in doing that. I found there was such a need in youth development. There were so many kids that were lacking self-confidence, lacking focus. You know, they would come to our classes and say, hey, look, you know, my child is lacking discipline. My child is lacking, you know, just self-belief. They're lacking focus. And I said, "Okay, there has to be other ways to be able to work with these kids. Besides, I mean, martial arts is great for it. Right. But it's just you only have them for an hour. Okay, how do we develop more things? So I started Camp Warrior King, which is a youth camp that exposes kids to activities they normally wouldn't experience during the school year. That youth camp started as a spring break camp, then went to the summer, and then we started doing workshops and stuff year round. And that's where Camp Warrior King came from. And it was like, okay, well, there's even more of a need, right? There's kids that don't come to camp that still need development. They need to believe that they can do anything. They need to believe that they can become what they want to become. They need to have more self-efficacy uh, is the is the word that I use mm-hmm. for it. 
and that's where the You Can Have It All youth conferences came from. That's where the You Can Have It All magazine came from, was just that need that I just keep seeing these needs that are out here with youth. Uh, and that's how everything, you know, just kind of took off from there. Fantastic. And uh, <laughs> I know from the work I've done in the past, how much energy that actually takes to actually get those yeah. things off the ground. So right. Camp Warrior King, how was that funded? Did, did, uh, was that a free for all young people or was it, you know, was it funded by the government or how did you do that? Uh, Camp Warrior King was funded by me. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah, uh, Camp, Camp Warrior King was privately funded. Uh, it was funded by me. The first year, uh, I lost all my savings. I lost, I mean, I owed people money. I was going to get kicked out of my apartment. Uh, I had a, I had my first son on the way, and, and you know, it was kind of like all hell broke loose. <laughs> the first year, of Camp Warrior King. I remember, um, I was three months behind on my rent. And, uh, you know, the landlord came and said, hey, look, Sean, you know, this isn't working, man. You're a great guy, but, uh, you know, you can't live here for free. And I remember him negotiating with him to allow me to paint the apartments in the afternoon to pay off my rent. And uh, I said, you know, man, I got a son on the way. I got this stuff going on. Just, you know, give me a second. I got this new idea I'm working on. Right. And he was gracious enough to do that. And so I would work camp from, I would get there about 545 in the morning. I would work all the way until about eight o'clock at night. And, you know, in the States, especially in the South, the sun is up for a very long time. So from about eight o'clock until about 930 at night, I would paint. And then on the weekends, I would paint. And so I was running about, you know, 17, 18 hours a day, you know, just during that time. And, but that was how it was funded. It was funded from just sweat equity. I didn't get any loans. I didn't get any, uh, any gifts or grants from anybody. It was the sweat equity to get it going. And, you know, and then what started happening is, you know, parents would start paying, um, the, it's not a free camp, uh, require parents to pay for the camp. And the reason why I do that is because, you know, they pay hundreds of dollars for video games and tennis shoes and all this other cool stuff they want for their kids. And they should pay for the self-development and the personal development of the children because it's, you know, much more powerful and, and long lasting. But the, so, the, so the parents pay now. Yeah. Yeah. Great. No, absolutely. And actually, in my experience, when we offer things for free, often people don't really honor them either. So, right. you know, whether the price is high or low, you know, a, a price is helpful. But um, no, 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 I get that. So. So then you went into conferences. Yes. Yes. So we went into you can have it all conferences and the conferences are designed to motivate children to go after their dreams, to believe in themselves, to get a boost. Uh, just like how when we go to a conference and you come out feeling energized and fired up about life. It's the same thing for these youth conferences. And so the youth conferences really started growing. And uh, really an exciting experience for the kids and for the people involved. And we started doing conference, you know, internationally. And so it went over to Uganda uh, to do a conference there. And that was a, an amazing experience uh, and for so many different reasons. But one of the beautiful things that came out of that conference is uh, we started the You Can Have It All orphanage in Uganda, East Africa. And we still run that orphanage today. We have about 30 kids. Matter of fact, they're getting ready to start school. Actually, start school on January 10th. Uh, and we just were able to, uh, 
you know, paint the inside of the rooms because they were sleeping on the floor. Uh, so we were able to paint inside, put windows and doors on the orphanage, uh, able to, uh, you know, do some really cool things. And now we're adding beds in there and stuff like that. And so that was something that really came out of the orphanage. I mean, out of the, excuse me, out of the conferences, uh, right. you know, really able to do some work. And, and do you have cultural links to Uganda? Is that why it was Uganda? Uh, no, actually, it was because I met a gentleman uh, <laughs> that, yeah. that said, hey, look, um, you know, uh, there are people here in Uganda that that really would yeah. love to hear what it is that you're saying. We see the con- the conferences you're doing. We think that it could benefit people here. And I said, all right, let's do it. I mean, that was that was the only connection. That was it. Uh, One of those lovely it. network network yeah. link ups. Yeah. Yeah. Do you are you finding that um, with your magazine? Is is that a physical magazine? Is it uh, online? How how does that work? Uh, both. So it's a physical magazine and it's also digital. Uh, so because the especially for you know the international audience, it's a lot easier for them to just be able to look at it on their phone than to ship it, uh, you know, overseas. Uh, but we have it both physical and digital. There's nothing like getting a physical copy of something in the mail, especially a magazine where you can be able to, you know, have it and grab it and look at it. I know the, the listeners won't be able to see it, but here's our latest issue right here of You Can Have yes. It All magazine. It's and a really colorful, glossy front cover. There's lots yeah. going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's a whole big deal in there, man. And it's a whole lot of fun. And, um, and you know, the kids love getting it in the mail. So what kind of age group do you think that you're, you're targeting? We target children ages 5 to 15, typically, uh, so school-age kids. Uh, and then we'll also work with children, you know, 16, 17, up to, up to adult age, so right before they get to 18. Yeah, okay. Uh, so in the UK, we our youth services are really struggling because of the cuts that you talked about from 2007. You know, we've been in auster- austerity measures kind of like the whole way through, and our youth services were one of the hardest hit. So a lot of our lot of our young people getting together, our youth clubs have the vast percentage have gone, um, wow. and so it's always about trying to meet those young people where they are to try and do some work with them. So I'm, I just love the fact that what you've done is snowballed in, into this digital world too. And something that you said though, SF, right at the start, um, which really I loved and I really believe you said, it's a great time for youth to be inspired. And what, what happens for me is all the way through this pandemic, I've heard I'm a pretty, pretty positive person anyway. And um, and I don't believe the fu- future's written. I right. believe it's there for us all. And people, you know, very much on social media, it's like uh, our children have lost years. Um, this is terrible, you know, and actually why? You know, because and also I've I've worked with a lot of young people who really found school tough for lots of reasons. So actually having exams, you know, coursework only that we've had, you know, has and been not at school has been quite helpful for some of them. What do right. you see? Uh, I, I see the exact same thing. I feel like the the future is is bright. I feel like the future is bright. I feel like the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And that's exactly what we're doing. And the 
I think that the pandemic opened up a lot of opportunities and ideas and things that we can do better uh, as a society. And we wouldn't have seen it had this not happened, um, had we not had to slow down, just kind of analyze and look at what things are right and what things are actually wrong. Uh, there is a lot. There are a lot of children. I mean, you think about the kid, right? And it, because there's goods and bads and everything, but you think about the kid that was coming to school every single day, and they were just getting bullied and and you know, or just extreme anxiety and issues at school because they always had to take a test, or they were getting picked on because they had the same shoes to wear every day, and all the kids were talking about them and all that stuff, right? Now that kid right there is is loving this situation because now they don't have to deal with that. And there are tons and tons of kids like that. At the same time, you have the kid that was running from home every single day to get to school, right? Because whether they needed to get the free or reduced lunch at school because they aren't getting fed at home, whether there was an abusive parent at the house or just the living situations were a mess. And so it's- Or they uh, just love school. Or they just love school. Right. Right. I mean, you think about and you have a lot of those kids that just love school, that love the socialization, being able to see their friends. They were in sports. They were right. And so it's it's you know, it's a very interesting time for everyone. But ultimately, that's life. Right. Like that's what life is about. I mean, you have these challenges on both sides and they never last always. And you just have to make it through. And so that is is where we are right now. It's just kind of taking the good with the bad or the bad with the good, if you will. And, and working through it. So what's your key message when you have um, Camp Warrior King or the conferences? You know, what would, what's your kind of like strap line, like message to those youngsters? Uh, that you can do anything that you set your mind to. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is the idea. The, the, the foundation of what it is that we do when we work with children is that you can do anything. You can become anybody. You can do what it is that you want to do in this life if you put your mind to it. And I truly believe that. Uh, I don't believe that there are limits. I think the only, well, besides the limits that we put on ourselves, right? Yeah. And, but the idea is that you can be whatever it is that you want to be, especially for children. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that for children that we take our, you know, adult failures and experiences and all these things that have happened and put it on a, on a child, right? And say, well, you know, you really can't become an astronaut because, you know, when I was nine, I wanted to be a blah, blah, blah. And I didn't do it. You know, we don't put those limitations on a kid. We tell him, hey, man, you can be whatever you want to be. And it's important. What we also do is make sure that we're telling the parents to be supportive of the children of what it is that they want to do. You know, don't allow your past failures or your current issues in your own life, what you're dealing with, to affect the children to affect what a child can become, you know, just because you may not believe in yourself and you don't like the fact that your kid has a lot of self-belief, you know, don't, don't tear them down, allow them to have that, you know, because they need that. We don't know what they'll become. You know, you don't know what these children will become. You can have a kid, you know, you don't know what a child will be 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now that will have the solution to some major issue or crisis that we need, whether it's big or small. Absolutely. And, you know, I I also, when I talk to parents, it's so easy for us to listen to others through our own fears and anxieties. And we're not, we're not actually listening to our child and what they're actually saying, deeply saying, not just the stuff that's coming out of their mouth. Right. Absolutely. We're, we're, 
you have to really listen and really slow down and take the time to hear what it is that your children are saying, uh, because they'll they'll tell you in a lot of ways or they'll show you, you know, and as parents, we want to make sure that we're paying attention to that so that we can help our children become the best version of themselves. Because that's all we, we really want to do. Right. Like you. I don't think too many people really care about their child being being the richest person in the world or being, you know, it's can we show them how to be the best version of themselves to have a happy and productive life? You know, I mean, if your kid wants to be, you know, an artist and just, you know, paint, you know, paintings all day long, if that's what's going to give them the most joy in the world, then support them in that. Right. Because yeah. that's ultimately what you want. I mean, yeah, everybody wants, you know, this kid is making all this money and all this hooply hoop hoop stuff. But if it doesn't make the kid happy, <laughs> then what have you really proven? What have you solved? Yeah, I love that. And it's and and what we're talking about, it's so innocent, isn't it? What we do as parents, you know, it's so the and I think when we do listen with a slightly quieter mind, we can hear so much more for sure. Absolutely. So what's next for you? Well, uh, What's next for us is continuing to expand the, the brand of You Can Have It All, uh, to expand the brand of the magazine, to get it in more countries. Um, I believe that motivation is a universal language and that all children around the world should be motivated or allowed to be motivated and be inspired. And so what we are doing is, is getting this magazine out so that children all around the world can be able to see it, be able to read it, put the pictures on their wall like we used to do when we were kids. Uh, and to have, I'm looking for that story one day that, that we get an email or text or whatever it'll be, you know, years from now, uh, <laughs> that says, you know, Hey, I had this picture on my wall and it helped me become X, Y, Z, uh, or I read an article about somebody in your magazine and it inspired me to do this and that, that that's what we're looking for. And having it come from somewhere, some far end of the world, some other side of the globe, uh, is that's what we're working on is getting it out here. I love that. I love that. So if people wanted to make contact with you, if they wanted to chat to you, if they wanted to find out more about You Can Have It All, if they wanted to get hold of a magazine, how do they do it? And I'll, and I'll put this in the show notes. The best way to do it is to go to our website. Uh, if they want to order the, the magazine or learn more about it. And the, mag, the website is ychiamag.com. And that just stands for You Can Have It All magazine. So they can Google You Can Have It All magazine and we'll come right up. Uh, they can contact me through there. All my contact information is there. And then I'm also on Instagram. Uh, they can go to my personal Instagram. I, everything on there I do promotes what we're doing. Uh, my Instagram is sfdreamsbig. Well, it's at sfdreamsbig, but everybody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'll put all of those in the show notes. Um, awesome. SF, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Um, Thank you. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I wish you all the best with all those projects. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realization Works. Subscribe to realizationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.